This is Paul Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. At Gallant Says on Twitter. Text into the show at 710-710. Hello and welcome into the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. I'm Paul Gallant on Thursday, June 6th of 2021. Oh boy, it's been a rough 24 hours for the Seattle Mariners. We've said that a lot over the last couple of decades. Last night in particular was difficult to watch. Boring and depressing at the same time. They hung in there for a bit until Chris Flexen lost a 13-pitch at-bat to Elvis Andrews and gave up five runs in the third inning. Jared Kelnick was benched for last night's game. You could say he was given the night off as well. Hopefully that's going to help him with his approach at the plate as he's in the midst of this slump. Justin Dunn has right shoulder inflammation. No big deal. Just his throwing shoulder. And while it might not be the end of the world, he's getting placed on the injured list. And then we've got Kyle Lewis. We heard that he might have a partial tear in his meniscus yesterday. Today, when we asked Jerry Depoto about if this could keep him out for a prolonged period of time, here's what he had to say. I would imagine so. You know, much like we we experienced coming out of spring training, uh, anything that we do with Kyle, we're going to make sure that we're hypersensitive to to the needs. And we want him to have a long career here in Seattle and and to thrive. And my guess is that 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 is going to result this time in in a bit of a prolonged absence. I am hopeful that we'll see him again this year on the field, but I don't think it's going to be quick. So uh, we're going to take our time, identify how we can help, and you know, and, and Kyle needs to make some decisions on what he wants to do. But uh, again, I don't think this is going to be days and, and weeks. I think it's going to be longer than that. Ugh. So sounds like he might be out for the year at the very worst, at the very least, out a couple of months. So I guess the one positive thing you could say about the Mariners who fell back behind the 500 line last night in a game where they could not hit the baseball at all. At the very least, unlike the Oakland A's, they are not feeding their minor leaguers a Firefest-esque um, <laughs> a plate of dinner every single night. Tweet went viral about that. So the A's are at the very least poorer than you, but they take two or three in the series. I'm, I'm done. I'm done talking about the Mariners. Can't do it any longer today. Hey, remember... When everyone was talking about Kyler Murray, he was drafted by the Oakland A's and they thought he was actually going to go through the minor league system. Well, now he's a quarterback in the NFC West. I was listening to a podcast yesterday, the Mina Mina Kimes podcast. She had former quarterback Nate Tyson. And they had a lot of interesting conversations and it got me thinking about this question. What NFC West quarterback has the least amount of pressure on them heading into 2021? I think a lot of you probably are thinking Russell Wilson. He's been noisy this offseason, if not annoying. He had a really rough stretch to close this past season. You could argue that he had a bad stretch as well in 2019 that also falls on him. They have a new offensive coordinator. They traded for an offensive lineman. They drafted another wide receiver with their only early draft pick, Dwayne Eskridge, out of Western Michigan. But... I don't think there's that much pressure on Russell Wilson, to be perfectly honest. There's probably more pressure on Pete Carroll and on the actual Seahawks organization, the defense to keep up what they were doing in the second half of last year. Because guess what? We know Russell Wilson's going to be Russell Wilson. There are things that he has to work on, sure. But 
when listening to that podcast with Mina Kimes and Nate Tice, Tice basically said that the things that Russ needs to work on are just really simple things. And that's what's so hard with him is because he does so many quarterback things well, but then he's like these real simple things. It's almost like he's like sunshine from every Titans where like <laughs> the 50-yard bomb is easier than the two-yard throw right in front of his face. And that's kind of how it is. And it's always how he's kind of going to be. It's just that's where the height comes into play. It's not balls getting batted down. It's just those little – that five to six, seven yard area right over the ball. That's really hard to see for us. And time and time again, it's shown that he's not great with it. I think that's correctable. And while we may see Russell Wilson still at his apex, I doubt he's going to be able to play at a higher level than he's played over the last two seasons. That's not an indictment. I think he's been awesome the last two years for the most part, especially at the beginning of the year. Those little things are really the only things that he needs to work on. There's really not that much pressure on Russell Wilson. I think he has the least amount of pressure on him going into this coming season in the NFC West. I mean, there aren't many expectations attached to the Seahawks right now, if we're being perfectly honest. Then take a look at the other quarterbacks in the NFC West. The guy who's got the most pressure on him is Matt Stafford. He's never played for a good team, ever. And while maybe being a part of an organization that actually knows what it's doing, the Rams instead of the Lions, is going to help Matt Stafford out, I look at it from this perspective. He has to be accountable now. He can't just basically sit there and say, well, I'm sort of a product of my environment anymore. He can't just stand stand there and stand pat. And quite honestly, that's the impression that I sort of get when it comes to Matt Stafford and his inability to change the Detroit Lions from what they've been their entire history. Maybe that organization is just so bad, but a great quarterback should be able to elevate them or at least hold teammates accountable and get more out of them. He's a bit of a gunslinger, too. He's joining an offense with a head coach who doesn't seem to have a lot of patience. Sean McVay was so sick of Jared Goff last year. Jared Goff is definitely a worse quarterback than Matt Stafford, but Matt Stafford as a part of this offense, are we 100% sure that Sean McVay is going to have the patience in him? Number two, as far as pressure on them this coming season, it's obviously Jimmy Garoppolo. He's fighting for his job. I mean, he's basically either playing for the ability to play on a championship contending team and maybe be a Super Bowl winning quarterback before they move on from him for Trey Lance, or he's auditioning for elsewhere. Number three, I think Kyler Murray's got more pressure on him. He's the quarterback of a dark horse team that for the second year in a row is getting a whole lot of love in the offseason. And while Cliff Kingsbury and Steve Kime, the head coach and general manager of the Cardinals, certainly have pressure on them going into this year, he is essentially the one that is going to be responsible for saving their jobs. Those two guys believe in him. Are we sure that whoever is next as general manager or head coach of the Cardinals is going to be enamored with Kyler Murray, a shorter quarterback who's unbelievably mobile, but who has definitely been affected by injuries the last couple of seasons? He's tough, no doubt. But there are elements of his game that I think he needs to get a whole lot better in, and I don't think Cliff Kingsbury is helping him on that front. Now, I have a hard time imagining that the Cardinals would be willing to move on from Kyler Murray anytime soon, but I think there's way more pressure on Kyler Murray, who now got J.J. Watt and A.J. Green added to his team this offseason. Malcolm Butler, he has headliners from probably three, four, five years ago, but that team, there is a little bit of clout, I think, attached to them going into this season. All three of the other starting quarterbacks in the NFC West have more pressure on them than Russell Wilson. 710-710 is the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. Text in, I don't want the Rams to do well, but I'm rooting for Stat Passford. 
someone must have Matt Stafford on their fantasy team. You can live that way. I would just say, as far as his availability this coming season, too, and I didn't even bring that up this time, I really wonder about that back. Is he going to be able to make it through an entire season this year? I'm skeptical about that. I'm Paul Gallant. This is the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. What NFC West quarterback has the least amount of pressure on him in 2021? 710 710 is how you text in. You can call us in about five minutes or so, 206 421 3776. Tweet me at Gallant says, listening on the 710 app or on your smart speaker or watching 710sports.com slash video. It's 1010. That means it's time for what's trending with Maura Dooley, brought to you by Kings Heating and Air. Good morning, afternoon, Maura Dooley. How are you now? Good morning, afternoon. I'm doing well. How about you? I'm excited about something that took place last night in Seattle sports. I feel like you're more excited because I think that you are the biggest hockey fan in this cluster that we have here. I know you're a big Boston Bruins fan. I am. The Bruins are in the midst of a playoff run, but we are going to have a team locally here, and we found out last night where they're going to be picking in the upcoming draft. Yes, I can't wait. Hockey's one of my favorite live sports. But yes, here is a little audio so you can hear what that announcement sounded like when they found out what pick they would have in the NHL draft. And the winner of the 2021 draft lottery is the Buffalo Sabres. So the Seattle Kraken will pick number two. They move up from third to second. They will pick higher than the Vegas Golden Knights did in their inaugural draft season. Buffalo retains the top pick for the first time since they did so themselves in 2018. There's a part of me that wishes the Kraken got the number one pick because they're the expansion team. They have literally no one on their team. So if the Buffalo Sabres were to play them in a game, the Buffalo Sabres would clearly win. We're talking about who's actually the worst at the NHL. So I don't know. Get the team that spent a whole lot of money to bring revenue into the league. That first overall pick. But they get the second pick, which is great. Mora, what kind of player should they be looking for? I know Mike Salk put together a piece for 710sports.com talking about all their potential options with that number two overall pick. But what would you want them to go after? Ron Francis, the general manager of the Kraken. I mean, I I would like to see them go after a defenseman. Um, I I think that that's kind of what Ron Francis leaned towards when he was helping um, the Carolina Hurricanes, when he worked in their organization, too. Um, So, uh, yeah, I... That's the way I would go. We talked about um, Owen Powers. Right. Um, or Power, I'm sorry. Because I just, he's one of the top prospects, but I also just think it would be so cool to have, to just always be talking about, man, did you see Power last night? Power with the power play goal. <laughs> I, also- I mean, it's hard to tell. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to. No, go. Keep going. It's hard to tell. Um, normally, hockey is a sport kind of like baseball where you're getting these guys so young. You're looking at them at 18, 19 years right. old and trying to figure out what they're going to develop into. And um, Ron Francis pointed out that it's even harder this year because they um, did not play a lot because of COVID last year, kind of like college football. So it is an interesting year for them to be doing this with all of the other unknowns of being an expansion team, too. That's a great point. I'm with you. I hope they go after any two-way defenseman as one of the few fans of the Tampa Bay Lightning in the United States of America that happens to randomly be in the complete opposite corner. In 2009, they drafted a two-way defenseman by the name of Victor Hedman, and that was basically the building block for a team that was able to successfully rebuild and has been one of the most successful teams in the NHL over the course of the past decade. You don't have to follow that blueprint, you know, by every single letter, but I hope they do that. 
And I also hope that they have the identity of not some finesse team, which I know is where hockey has gone over the last decade since I've been far away from the sport. I hope that they're one of those bruising teams. I loved that 2011 Boston Bruins team. Yes, I want goons, Maura. Yeah. Give me my goons. I agree. All right, I know this is uh, one of the things that you enjoyed most from our, our headlines today. Trey Young, you know, had a quite a back and forth with the Knicks fans during their playoff series. And um, as it came to an end last night, he decided to take a bow. Here is him explaining. And um, leading up to this game, uh, I knew I know where we are. I know it's a bunch of shows around this city. Um, and I know what, what they do when the show is over, so... That's pretty much what it was. So, There's nothing quite like a sports villain. I love sports heels. Trey Young has dealt with a lot of noise, obviously some spit too, at Madison Square Garden, this revered palace that I find to be a largely inconsequential building, but for whatever reason, it's hallowed grounds as far as basketball goes. The Knicks had a really surprising year this past season. At the very end of the game, the Hawks have already won it. Trey Young is what looks like he's dribbling out the clock. Knicks fans are cheering, standing ovation for a year that they were surprised by. All of a sudden, Young decides to bomb it for practically half court. He makes it, and that bow that he, he was referring to right there, he just took a bow. Knicks fans went from their standing ovation to being completely quiet to booing. It was fantastic. It's great to see crowds back, but it's even better to see someone like Trey Young basically reenacting Reggie Miller and pulling the hearts and souls out of every single Knicks fan who for some reason thought that their team was actually back. Same old Knicks, same old Knicks. I am all here for it. That everybody Why is... Why do you hate the Knicks? Because they're in New York. I will never root for a New York sports team, Maura Dooley. I normally feel that way, but they've been so long-suffering. I almost kind of identify with them on that after being, you know, growing up a Red Sox fan. Still in New York. They are still in New York. (laughs) I don't care if their owner's bad. I think it's hilarious that they continue to struggle. I think it's cute that they get their hopes up, thinking that they're finally going to turn things around. Nope, your best player is Julius Randle. Calm yourself down. I'm Paul Gallant. This is the Paul Gallant Show. I am a hater, as you guys can tell. 710-710 is how you text in. You can tweet in at Gallant Says on the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle, which you can listen to on the 710 app or on your smart speaker or watch 710sports.com slash video to see all of my many eyebrow movements. The question of today's show, what NFC West quarterback has the least amount of pressure on him in 2021? I think it's Russell Wilson. I think he's got the least amount of pressure on him going into this season. You get to answer that, though. It's your chance to be heard. Your voice. Your opinions. It's time to be heard. Every day at 1015 with Paul Gallant. Be heard. 7-10-7-10. If the Seahawks acquire Julio Jones, I think that Russell Wilson will have the most pressure on him in the NFC West. Yeah, I suppose, but is it really pressure to have another weapon added to your team? I don't know about that, you know? I look at that from this perspective. That makes it easier for him, theoretically. And I'm of the mindset that you want to really make this roster more balanced. You want the defense to be on the same level as the offense as far as things go right now, which is why I'm hesitant to trade for Julio Jones, along with a bunch of other reasons, which I wrote about for 710sports.com. 
But if they trade for him, I mean, I, I, I feel like Russell Wilson going into this year, he knows he's got a great offense around him. He knows he's a great quarterback already. I, don't, I just don't think there's that much pressure on him going into this year. 206-421-3776 is how you call in. Let's go to our friend Evan in Puyallup. Evan, what's going on, man? Hey, thanks for having me. What you got, man? Um, so, my opinion is is um, kind of like Russell Wilson, other than Russell Wilson's kind of proved himself in the NFL. Kyler Murray and uh, the Arizona Cardinals kind of plummeted last year yeah. um, in the second half of the year. So, I personally think he probably has the most pressure on him, in my opinion, because they're slowly getting to a tipping point of, is he going to be our franchise quarterback or not? So I think him and his coach have a lot of pressure. Um, and then I think the person with the least amount of pressure is Russell Wilson or Jimmy Garoppolo, just because Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't really have anything to prove. They just drafted a quarterback. His time's done. Everybody knows it. And San Francisco. But I do think if Julio Jones is traded to the Seahawks and that happens, um, which I don't think is likely, but you never know, then I would almost say um, Wilson because he got another toy to try to gotcha. you know, win a Super Bowl, so that would add um, pressure on him. And then with uh, Stafford, I don't think there's much pressure on him this year just because it's Interesting. on a new team. Okay. Um, I think next, the year after would be where the pressure's on because um, he's had time to adapt, and I think it's more on the front office. Appreciate the phone call, Evan. A lot of points to dissect there. Let's start with the Kyler Murray one. Murray's got a lot to prove this year, and I think the biggest thing is that he can be consistent for 16 weeks across the NFL season. He was an MVP candidate after that game that he had against Russell Wilson in Sunday Night Football, and then a couple of weeks later, he throws the Hail Mary to DeAndre Hopkins to win that game against the Buffalo Bills. At that point, he was an MVP frontrunner. And then the rest of the season happened. He got injured at some point. His shoulder wasn't the same. It might have actually been in that game against the Seahawks, that first one. And the rest of the year, he just wasn't quite the same. He is small. He is not as compact as Russell Wilson, too. That part of his game is, I think, going to be a detriment. And I feel like there's pressure on him to make sure that with all the scrambling that he does that he takes care of his body over the course of the year. To Evan's second point, like a texter, he thinks that adding Julio Jones is going to put more pressure on Russ. I just don't buy that. I feel like it makes his job a lot easier. Honestly, if they were to add Julio, do you expect Russ to not be able to make that work? I feel like it would be more a Shane Waldron-Julio problem than it necessarily would be julio and Russell Wilson meshing. It would be, how does Julio fit into the offense with all of these other wide receivers? Russ would find a way to make that work. Stafford next year having pressure, as Evan had laid up, though. No, it's on him now. This is the first time that we have seen him in the spotlight. Everyone likes to say he's good. Prove it. 206-421-3776, your chance to be heard. You can text in 710-710. Wilson has got the least because he has to learn the offense. He should get at least a year. Make it sort of the same point that Evan made about Matt Stafford. Let's go to Sean in Centralia. Sean, what's going on? Sean. Paul. How you doing, man? 
Hey, I personally think that the most pressure is on Russell. And, and here's my reasoning. He ended 2020 on a downward note. And then he, the expectation level is much higher on him than any of the other three. I mean, if you listen to anyone around football, they, they don't have high regard for Garoppolo. The questions are on uh, Stafford. There's certainly questions on Murray. And, and now, because of the way he ended his season, I think that wrongly so, but I guess you could say rightly so, there's questions about Russell. And because of his career and because of who he is and where he's been, I would honestly argue the pressure is greater on him. But I know you disagree, and that's great because that gives us both something to, to talk about in a disagreement. And real quick, Paul. Go ahead. I believe the red flag should be up on Kyle Lewis. I know that you might not agree with that, but two injuries this year to the same knee that was rebuilt a couple years ago, a dramatic knee injury, I, I believe there should be red flags going forth. I'm with you on that one, Sean. I am with you on that. It's definitely concerning and appreciate the phone call to think about what his long-term future is now. All these injuries on the same knee – and then hearing that he's feeling so down about it from Scott's service, then hearing from Jerry Depoto earlier that today on the Danny and Gallant show, check out the podcast, where he's saying that he's probably going to be out a long period of time. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, that's one of the reasons I feel like you want to start the conversations about an extension for Mitch Hanniger, which I talked about a lot on yesterday's show. Sean, appreciate the phone call. Up next, 710-710 on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line, the Graz is going to enter the fray. Is he going to be able to talk us? out of our Mariners' depression, to be our therapist. And with Coach K retiring, I couldn't help but think about Pete Carroll. I'll share why with the Graz next. It's 10.30, and that means it's time to get in the sports pit. In the pit where all that stuff goes down, and if you don't have some freaking toughness, you're going to get your, you're going you're to fail. With Paul Gallant. And joining me... Thanks to Mac and Jack's Brewing Company, is the great and powerful Graz. Graz, you're going to have to be my Mariners therapist. The 2021 Seattle Mariners have their ups. They have their downs. I feel like from Tuesday to Thursday, we generally go from one high Mm -hmm. to the next low. Here's the low that we're at now after a game that I found quite tiresome last night. Chris Flexen collapses after losing a 13-pitch at bat. Jared Kelnick's benched. Justin Dunn has right shoulder inflammation, and we found out yesterday Kyle Lewis, really down, is getting a second opinion on the torn meniscus in his right knee. This afternoon, Jerry Depoto made it sound as if we're not going to see him for a while. So help me out here, man. I need some help. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> wake up and gotta cheer up. Put on a happy face. You know what? That works. Can I, can I do a little me. dance for you? Can I do a little? I mean, because this is this is twenty years of unwitting, unremittingly bad luck, bad karma, um, mistakes. It just they, they not catching a break ever. I mean, it was just it's just been a classic week for that. And and you're right. Kyle Lewis was starting to heat up and look good. So let's get him out of the equation. Let's make sure Kalnick's still not hitting so that whole thing can look even worse than we imagined it did back in the early days of Kevin Mather. Oof. I mean, you know, wouldn't have any other scenario been better than this, dare I say, even if he had like strained his hamstring a little bit and wasn't no. playing, wouldn't that have been better than hitting 111? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I mean, it's. Uh, <laughs> oh <yeah>. boy. <laughs> I, 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 it's what we've been, and and I think the thing that that jumped out of me what you said, and this is this is unfortunate for the Mariners, but it's June the third, and you have games like last night that that feel like you've seen them a thousand times. Right, it just felt lifeless, you know. At least last it, night's game in particular. Yeah, and it's it's not fair. It's different guys. It's different everything. No but doubt. It, it's it's if you've been watching for 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 any period of time. You know, you, you come across too many of those games over the course of a season. So it's just, uh, they, if they didn't have bad luck, they wouldn't have any luck. And, and uh, let's see, you know, like, like you said, you know, they, they, it's been a roller coaster. So there, there might be another high coming. I'm not sure what it is. I'm not sure where it is, but it's possible. Do you believe in sports curses? And I, I ask that because historically in baseball, there have been many that have been brought up. I forget what the Cleveland Indians one was, but with the White Sox, there was the infamous Billy Goat. With the Red Sox, mm-hmm. they sell Babe Ruth to the New York Yankees to finance a play called No No Nanette. I don't know what would have started the Mariners' potentially streak of bad luck. I know that Brent Stecker, our 710sports.com editor, theorizes that it is the trident. I like the trident. I think it looks fetch. But do you believe in sports curses? Well, yes. Secondly, the trident does not look fetch. Fetch is not happening, Paul, and it's never going to happen. (laughs) I love that you get that reference. You're the best. (laughs) (laughs) And I have called it the curse of Lou Pinella, even though Lou Pinella is very much alive yeah. and has very much not cursed them. I mean, he has not done it, but he was fired when he shouldn't have been. Bob Melvin comes in and wins 93 games his first year, but this is the year of Billy Ball when, when the A's won 20 in a row and won the division. Uh, they, they slip off the, the following year. They fire Melvin, who then has coached the A's basically ever since and won like 700 games. And uh, the fact is they, they never went to the playoffs before Lou Pinella got here. They've never gone to the playoffs since Lou Pinella has left here. So uh, this, this is the problem. It's a little unsatisfying in calling it that because Lou did not put a hex on the team. No. But he, that's what I'm calling it, the curse of Lou Pinella. He just asked for more, and they didn't give him more. And I read about it. There was an awkward back yeah. and forth that took place because a memo was sent, and Lou Pinello didn't like the memo. I, 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 I believe it was Chuck Armstrong. I could be wrong as far as I, you, I think it was more with Howard Lincoln. Howard Lincoln, with, thank with, you. With that's the, the right name. With, yeah. yeah. Uh, was it, the owner at the time. You know, you got me thinking about Lou Pinella, and we, we, we didn't t- talk on, on Monday, but, uh, you know, Lou Pinella, at least from wh- what we know, he's, he's battling cancer right now. And since mm-hmm. we are thinking about so many bad things with the current Mariners, what was your favorite element of Lou Pinella when he was the manager of this team? Oh, God. I mean, I, and I, I had a front row seat for that for three years because I was doing Mariner pre and post game. Um, for me, it was his absolute, never seen it on anyone else, never seen it with anyone else, hatred of losing. He hated losing. He just, I, I, I can't emphasize that enough. It, it permeated through, through, through his pores, his hatred of losing. I mean, I'll tell you a really fast story. I, I was doing, uh, during the Mariner games, I was doing uh, stuff on the big screen. And so it was, it was this 95 great run. And, you know, I said, you know, and, and looking forward to, to perhaps playing the team, they're going to have that, that one game playoff against the Angels next week. And I get a note from the Mariner PR guy at the time, Dave Ouse, says, the game, this was done in the fifth inning, the game is tied. Says, Lou wants to see you after the game. And I said, well, what, why do you want to see me? I mean, what, what, what did I do? What, what, why would you want to see me? <laughs> oh, no. And he says he doesn't like the fact that you, you, you said they were going to win it and play it in that game. That you know, hasn't been done yet. And 
I was like uh, just just beside myself, and and the game goes on, and the Mariners wind up winning it. So I do post game, and then then you know kind of walk into the locker room like a scared little dove, you know, kicking my feet together, looking down, and go, uh, Skip, did you want to see me? And he looks at me and he goes, Graz, what are you doing here? And I said, Well, uh, Dave Dave Aus was the PR guy. Dave, Dave said you wanted to see me, and he just looks at me like I'm from Mars. And I, I wind up explaining to him, well, apparently he didn't like what I said when I was standing. Oh, forget about that, Cross. It's okay. It's okay. He just he didn't care because they won. If they had lost that game, I would have heard about it for a half an hour. He just was he was he just could not could not stand losing and would do crazy things because of it. I'm glad that you didn't get yelled at by Lou. Although there's a part of me that would probably want to have that as an experience to look back on. Just probably I wouldn't enjoy it in the moment. Well, I tell you, the thing, the thing about Lou was he would he, he'd give you an early warning sign. When he'd answer a question using the word, it would be, oh, I don't know, son, or <laughs> I don't know, sir. You have to ask the players, be very careful what you ask next. Be very, very careful because he is on the brink. <laughs> so some, some guys learned it and some guys didn't. And, and it was, you know, look, it was a guy who, who would not accept anything short of winning. And he got the team to believe it almost right away. And they, the three playoff appearances in seven years, they, that was the one time they've won in their history. Let's shift from one iconic coach to another. We found out yesterday that Coach K is going to step down at the end of next year yeah. from Duke one of the greatest coaches in sports history. I'm not the biggest fan, but at the very least, I have to recognize it. One of the reasons it seems, Graz, that he is stepping away is because he's worn out by the one-and-dones and and Hmm. the transfer windows and all the other things. Now, all of a sudden, players being able to earn money for their likeness. And it has me thinking about Pete Carroll, because Coach K is 74 years old. Pete Carroll is 69, and it's almost as if he is getting better with all of these things that, as time goes on, are changing about sports. It's as mm. if Pete is getting better and better suited for it, as guys like Coach K are getting less and less suited for it. Excellent point. Excellent point. I mean, he, Pete not only seems unfazed by new things, he, he relishes them. He just talks about how great they are, and it's just his, his remorseless positiveness that, that always comes through. I've not seen a thing that, that in the quote-unquote modern game has thrown him for a loop at all. Now, it might be interesting to see him in college football nowadays with that transfer window and things like that, although I, the one and done is much more of a basketball thing. Obviously, it's only a basketball thing. But uh, I get the feeling that he'd have no problem dealing with it. Uh, you know, Pete Carroll is, is a unique character in that uh, he always turns a negative into a positive. Always. I mean, this is watching him up close for 10, 12 years now. He never, ever slides in the negative side. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible to see a guy who can remain that positive in the face of such misery sometimes. Graz, you got me back on the positive side. I appreciate that Lou Pinella story quite a bit. Thank you so much for stopping by, as you always do, and have yourself a great weekend, buddy. Paul, we'll talk Tuesday, pal. That is the great and powerful Graz, everybody, at the Graz on Twitter. You know what happens at 1045. You pick what I talk about. Whenever I think we've come a long way as a country, you see some 1800 stuff in the world of sports. I could talk about that. What's the worst? Wow, way too many people have this take, sports take in the U.S. Could be that too, but I think it's going to be this. I think the Seahawks have a Trey Young-esque player. I'll tell you who that is next. You're listening to Paul Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Every day at 10 on 710 ESPN Seattle. Today's question, who's got the most pressure on them among quarterbacks in the NFC West? I'll tell you who has the least amount. It's Russell Wilson. 
for all the talk this offseason and the idea that he's not happy here and that even though he has asked for all of these things, the Seahawks have given him some of these things, he now needs to prove that he can do it at the end of a season. And I look at the rest of the quarterbacks in the NFC West and I just think twice. Russell Wilson's better than all of them. You know what Russell Wilson's going to be this coming season. Maybe you're not 100% sure about how he'll finish out the year, but Jimmy Garoppolo's fighting for his job. Kyler Murray's far from proven, and the Cardinals are a sexy pick going into this season. And then, after all of that, Matt Stafford, who has all the question marks on him and has all the pressure in the world on him. Let's see how you make it in the big leagues, buddy. The Detroit Lions were certainly far from that. A couple of responses to that, since we are the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle, 710-710. Wilson has the most pressure. He turned into a precious diva, so now he has to back up his whining. I don't know that he necessarily does. I mean, the whining puts more pressure on the Seahawks, doesn't it? And that's why I feel like if you're going into next year, there's probably more pressure on Pete Carroll to get the most out of a defensive side of the football that has an awful lot invested in Bobby Wagner, needs to figure out how they're going to pay Jamal Adams, and yet defensive line, secondary... They're far from convincing. Doesn't mean they're bad, but did the second half of last season convince you that Russell Wilson's entirely wrong? I think Russ has definitely been given a lot more than he lends everybody to believe. But at the same time, if you're a quarterback and your defense did not help you out against the Green Bay Packers the playoffs before, I can understand why you think that maybe over the totality of your time here, that there hasn't been enough done for you. But it's weird. It always comes back to the offense when it's conversations about what Russell wants. And I think Russell should be a little bit smarter than that. Defense wins championships. It wasn't Brady's wide receiver core that won that Super Bowl. It was the defense on the other side of the football for Brady. Text in, I'm starting to think that Russ is incapable of winning an MVP. He is great but streaky. He blew it in the second half of the season two years in a row. It might be a trend. And it's why I wrote about that piece uh, in that piece for 710sports.com that I put up on Monday about how maybe we have seen the absolute best of him. If we're going to criticize Drew Brees and Tom Brady and other quarterbacks who haven't looked as good in the second half of the year, shouldn't we do the same thing for Russell Wilson, Ben Roethlisberger, another one of them? And the difference is Russell Wilson's younger than all those guys. Text, I think Kyler Murray has the least amount of pressure on him. He was a first-round draft pick in baseball, and if football doesn't work out for him, he has the ability to change sports. Well, doesn't Russell Wilson have that too? Isn't Russell Wilson? Noted New York Yankee, Russell Wilson. Noted Texas Ranger, Russell Wilson. Doing baseball on the side. Yeah, I don't know exactly how serious anyone can take that one. I asked at about eh, 10.30 or so you to pick the topic that I talk about now. And I want to talk about this one. I love Trey Young. I think he is the epitome of a sports heel. I like guys like that. I've always liked players like Draymond Green in basketball. Patrick Beverly. Guys who are gnats, but guys who get under the skin of the opposition. And the Seahawks have a guy like that with superstar potential. It's DK Metcalf. DK Metcalf could be the villain He's got that visor on and all the things that you look at. He's massive. He's strong. He's blocking cornerbacks all over the sidelines and into the bleachers. He has everything necessary to be one of the most 
disliked players across the NFL. And that's the interesting thing, because he is really well-liked right now. He has a sense of humor. He's competitive, but you see him running in track. Who's rooting against him when he's running the 100-meter dash, and he's actually delivering, and he's being so humble about it after the fact. But when you watch him on the field, there is something about him that I would love to see more of. I would love to see him go from getting under the skin of the opposition to getting under the skin of any crowd, any opposing arena that he visits over the course of this next season. I don't know if that's necessarily in his character, but if Trey Young has that, I think DK Metcalf certainly has that. The ability to be a sports heel. And I mean, if he goes all in on that, wouldn't you love him a little bit more? Maybe you're not like that. Maybe you'd think, oh, that's diva wide receiver tendencies. Not me. I, I love that he gets so under the skin of defensive backs. How many tried to fight him last year? What, three? Which is, by the way, moronic. Because all these guys are tiny. DK Metcalf's built like a tight end. Well, and then you have the aspect of uh, he gets them to get penalties yes. a lot. So as yes. long as he can keep doing that and keep from getting the penalties himself, you have to be all for it, right? 100%. 100%. Which makes him even more dislikable across the league. The next thing he has to do is to start trolling opposing fan bases. Is that something he'll ever do? I don't know. I hope it is something that he'll do. But that's just a me thing. One thing I did want to touch on, I, I briefly mentioned it with the Graz. I know there are a lot of people out there who do not like Pete Carroll as head coach. You think he's stuck in his ways. You think he's too old school. You think he wants to run the football too much. You think maybe he's been here a little bit too long. I could understand that. I was listening to a podcast yesterday, and they were talking about Danny Ainge, how he was there with the Boston Celtics basically for 20 years. After a while, the message gets lost. It's just human nature. When you're a part of an organization for a really long period of time, young guys are going to come in, they're going to have different ideas about how to do things, and they're going to start to question the people that are in power. But when I see Coach K retire yesterday, I saw a guy who was unwilling to adapt to that, unwilling to adapt to the young voices that have questions or just want to go and do things a different way. He couldn't handle transfer portals. He couldn't handle the idea of one-and-dones. He couldn't handle the idea of players making money for their blood, sweat, and tears. I think we all get to a point where we're maybe not willing to accept change. But I think Pete Carroll's biggest strength, 69 years old, oldest coach in the NFL, is that he has always been open to change and always been open to adapting. And has this youthful vigor that I feel like most college basketball coaches should be envious of right now. And I'm sure Coach K, perhaps to an extent, feels that way, looking at somebody like Pete Carroll. Big thanks to everybody who tuned in to today's edition of the Paul Gallant Show. To the texters, our callers, our tweeters, to the Gras. And, of course, the great Maura Dooley behind the glass who makes this thing happen every single day. I am merely Paul Gallant. So long, farewell. Jake and Stacey are next. Have yourself a great Thursday.